Thanks for tuning in to the Renew Life Church Lubbock podcast today. We hope this message encourages you as you allow God's word and his presence to change your life. In case you don't know who I am, my name is Braden. Uh, I'm the senior pastor here at Renew Life Church. Keith and his wife, Natalie, awesome job as campus pastor here for the Lubbock campus. Got Cody and Stacy and his wife in Midland do a great job. And uh, I'm just what you get today. So uh, excited to be here. Really feel the Lord really gave me this message for this, actually for this campus. Uh, the Lord's been dealing with me in a, in a couple of ways where uh, it's easier for me to get one message and then just preach it at both campuses. It's, it's easier. And, and I've had the Lord get on to me lately saying, Nana, you make sure you come to me every single week and make sure it's the word of the Lord for that, uh, for that geographical location even. And so uh, that's what I think this message was born out of. And so we're going to read a passage of Scripture starting in Luke 15, and uh, then we'll just see what happens, I guess. It says, then he said, a certain man had two sons. Just say this with me out loud. Say, two sons. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. So he divided them his livelihood, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all... There arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. He would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. And when he had come to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a far, uh, a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servant, Bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat ribeyes and be merry. I love that you can just say that in Texas and just get away with it. Just... Uh, for my son was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and is found, and began to be married. And his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he's received him safe and sound, your father's killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you, and I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me as much as a young goat that I might be married with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Um, this is not a passage of scripture that's uh, new to a ton of us, but uh, I wanted to read the whole thing, and we'll, we'll dive into it here in just a second. Uh, early this week, I had something happen. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but I was actually telling a story to uh, someone. Life me, I can't even remember what the story was, but it all of a sudden dawned on me, and this is one of those like childhood stories that I'm, I'm telling the story. I've told it a thousand times. Some of you guys have, like when you're meeting new people or in a crowd, you kind of have your go-to stories. You know, you know what's going to get a good reaction or a good laugh if it's a joke, whatever. So you kind of have your go-to stories. This is one of my uh, you know, kind of go-tos and, um, about my childhood. And all of a sudden, as I'm telling the story, I just had this thought, I'm not 100% sure this is true. 
I'm like, this very possibly could be something that happened as a child, but as a child, acting like a child, I made the story just a little bit bigger, and now I'm not 100% sure what is the real truth. Anybody else have stuff like that where you're like, I actually don't know if that's actually true or not. It sounds good. Um, it's like that saying, don't ever let the truth get in the way of a good story. Uh, I, I was kind of dealing with that. I actually had something, and it made me start thinking like, you know, I actually may have more than one of these. Like, I actually may have a series of these that I probably need to go back and work through in my spirit. I, I, I was, when I was 13 years old, I remember one time I was bow hunting with my dad, and I'd, uh, we had some family land in central Texas, and he had dropped me off, and there was a particular spot I was going to go sit where I had to kind of walk through, down a creek by myself, go to this creek, kind of in the dark, dark area. And it was a night hunt, and so um, as the sun was going to, I was going to have to walk back in the dark. I didn't have a flashlight. And I think the longer I sat there, the more I realized, like, I actually don't have a flashlight. And I'm not too proud to admit that at 13 years old, I was still scared of the dark. Uh, I, I was just, uh, it, 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 honestly, it was kind of one of those things, if you've ever been in the woods, like, you just start making up sounds. Like, you, you're, and, and I heard, I heard, you know who Judas Smith is? Like, he's a pastor. I heard him tell the story one time that until he was like 16, 17 years old, he still would get scared taking out the trash. And so he would sing at the top of his lungs all the way out to the alley and back. Like, who wants to kill a crazy singing person? Like, you know. But I was kind of having one of these moments where I'm like, I, I was kind of dealing with it. It was getting dark by myself. Well, I wasn't by myself. My dad was four or 500 yards away, but and all of a sudden, this is no joke, I actually, this part is true, I know I heard a sound. The sound I heard, I interpreted it as a bobcat. Now why it became a bobcat, I'm not 100% sure, but I was certain, because it was kinda like <laughs> and that's what, And that's what, I, that's what I heard. And I'm telling you, I got out of that tree stand, and I mean, I was kicking up dirt. I was out of there. I was running, I was scared, I was running. Um, but I've, I've thought about this a lot because as I've told the story, because this, this has been one of my kind of go-to childhood stories, laughing about it, but I'm pretty sure that by the time I got back to my dad, like a Bengal tiger had escaped. <laughs> and, and it's chasing me through the woods, you know. And I don't know if you've ever like run through the woods, but like you think you hear something running behind you. Like, you, ever, you ever had that? Well, this Bengal tiger was chasing me. And... Um, but no, and here's the best part. Here's, here's the funniest thing. I actually think by, I think I came by this naturally. Uh, I, I'm fixing to throw my dad under the bus here just for a second. Uh, not too long ago, like, I don't know, a month ago, I was talking to dad and I said, man, I just, it's just crazy. And I don't even remember how this came up, but I said, man, it's just crazy that, you know, you, you broke the school record at Tech for throwing the javelin. And he just kind of looked at me kind of a little bit perplexed. And I was like, you know, it's just, it's just crazy. I just, I mean, you never even threw the javelin in high school. I mean, it just, it, that's just awesome that you were such a good athlete. And uh, because as a child, I'll never forget going through his yearbook, his tech yearbook, and I opened it up and I was kind of flipping through there. And it's crazy. He never told me this story, but clears the bell. You turn to the athletic section and there's a picture of my dad throwing the javelin. And underneath it says uh, something like freshman Tony Connor breaks the school record in javelin. And I, and I'm, and I, he, I remember talk, having a vivid conversation with him about his unbelievable skills throwing the javelin. And uh, when, when I said this to him the other day, I said, man, that's just, that's just crazy. And he just looked at me and he goes, yeah, it's not, that didn't happen. <laughs> and I was like, what do, you, what do you mean it didn't happen? Like it had to, my childhood is evaporating in front of my eyes. Like it happened. He's like, nah. He's like, uh, actually, 
<laughs> he said, actually, that was a typo. He goes, I did try for the javelin. He said, but somebody else broke the school record. They just put my name in there. I just never told you that. And I'm like, you can't do this to me this late in my, my life, my childhood. <laughs> but it, it, it just got me thinking, and, I, and I've been reading this. I've been going through the New Testament. Uh, I've, I've, I'm on this reading plan right now, going through the New Testament in 40 days. Best part is I'm going, through, I'm going through it, reading it, while I'm watching The Chosen. You guys ever watch The Chosen? It's just, I'm going through season one right now, or just started season two, but season one. Man, watching it, reading it, it's just pretty incredible, kind of the impact it, it's having on my life. But I got to the portion of Luke 15 the other day and I was, when I was reading through this, and as I was reading this, the Lord brought something to my attention. Now, raise your hand in here. We, we read it earlier, but raise your hand in here if you know the parable of the lost son. You've heard the, before the parable of the lost son. Okay, Th- this is what's crazy about that. So many people raise their hand. It's actually not the parable of the lost son. That's what's crazy, is we've heard it said that way so many times. In fact, some translations, if you'll look at your, if you've got your real Bible, I know the New King James, I saw it in their mind. It's like, it literally says right above it, you got the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and then the parable of the, the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son. The crazy thing is, is this is what Jesus called it, the parable of two sons. Because in Luke 15, 11, he says, then a certain man had two sons. If you go on and read throughout, he takes a portion of time, spends it talking about the first one, then another portion of time talking about the second one. The, the reason I do that is, and bring that up in that way is because I think it's important that we have to have such a lifestyle of getting in the Word that we don't just think we know what we know and think we remember these things. We actually have faith in the Word of God. We have a history with the Word of God. We know what these things say, not we just, oh yeah, I know that, that story. If you're not careful, sometimes you'll hear something or read something like, oh yeah, I, I know that story. I, I've heard that story. And I think that's what happened here with me. The Lord was like, hey, and he, it's like he got my attention. He's like, hey, you, you know I had two sons, right? He had two sons. And so it caused me to dig in there. And I knew right away the Lord was trying to show me something uh, with even this second son, we'll talk about some with the first son, but especially with this second son that I think he wants us to talk about today. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to compare and contrast. Uh, not just We're not going to tell the story, the parable of the lost son, but I want to talk to you about the parable according to Jesus, the parable of two sons. Start a little bit with this younger son. I want to, again, most of us have heard so many stories about this. I want to try to maybe hit on some things that aren't like Maybe just right in your face, easy, some of the easier uh, things to see. But I, I just want to start by saying I think that as far as the younger son goes, I think he asked the father the wrong question. I think he was asking the wrong question. Notice what he says. He says, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So in simply asking, uh, and of course it really wasn't much of an ask. He, he kind of told him, uh, which says a lot. But even in asking or telling his dad, hey, I want the portion of goods that falls to me, there's an underlying assumption in the younger son that I'm ready. I'm ready. Because I promise you, he did not have a plan when he asked his dad this. The pig pen was not in his plan. Broke, homeless, in famine, feeding big, it was not a part of his plan. I propose to you that the reason he even asked the question is because he had assumed that he was ready. He had assumed that he didn't need the covering of his father's house anymore, that I got what it takes, I can do this, I can do this on my own. I'll say this, uh, Proverbs 15, 22, English Standard Version, says, without counsel, plans fail. 
but with many advisors, they succeed. The reason I read that is because I think he asked the wrong question. I think instead of asking his father for money, he should have asked his father for advice. And if, I'm, if I could be so bold, I think that's something that all of us need to build into our lifestyle where anytime it comes to a big decision in our life, the first thing we do is ask for help. Ask for advice. It's a, there's a reason uh, spiritual family is a, is a big thing to me. In fact, right now I'm actually going through our 12 core values. I'm teaching uh, all the 12 core values. We're actually working on a class where eventually you'll be able to go through this. Uh, the 12 core values uh, and um, spiritual family is a big one. It's, spiritual family is one of the core values of this church. And, and when I say it's a value in this church, it's not just we say it. No, we actually try to do it and we encourage you to do it as well. There should be something in the heart of sons that wants and almost needs, um, needs their, uh, I wanna be careful saying that because I know you can get in, needing your father's approval is, you, you can get a little crooked there. So I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying there. It's, you should have such a relationship with fathers and mothers in your life of such trust, of such connection, of such love and such support that you know the best thing for you to do in any situation is to go to a father. That, that's, that's the way it's supposed to work. We're supposed, we're wired, the way God created this thing to work is we're supposed to have mothers and fathers in our life that we go to that nothing that we ever do, do we do it alone. It's not the way we're, we were created to, to function. In fact, I'll say it this way, you don't ever grow out of needing help. I don't care how mature you are. I don't care how old you are. There is no expiration date on these scriptures. Maybe more importantly so, it's humble people that ask for help. Pride thinks it already knows, so sees no need in asking for help. But humility says, I don't know everything, but I think so-and-so. Like for instance, if I, if, I, if, I come, if I come to Blake and say, hey, can I get your opinion on this? You know what it automatically, what it's saying automatically? I think you could know more than I know. Pride never considers that. Never considers that. So why on earth would I ask anyone for anything? Because I already know. Where humility says, I think I have, like the scripture says, I know in part and prophesy in part, but the, the, the Lord has brought people into my life and I see the God in them. Humility asks questions. Pride loves to give answers, but humility asks questions. And the Bible let me say it a different way. As I'm living my life, I don't want to live my life simply on the fruits of my getting it right. I want to live my life on grace. And the Bible says that God gives more grace to humble people. Therefore, there's more grace for people that ask questions. Think, just for a minute, think about the last big decision you made in your life. Change a job anything. Ask yourself the question, who did I ask about this? Did I ask anyone about this? Plans fail without counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. This is something that is um, <laughs> it's like, almost like a pride pandemic. Uh, it's, me and Leanne have this, a, a bit of a pet peeve. When people come and tell you Hey, I wanted to get your thoughts on something. Uh, I quit my job. What do you think about that? <laughs> here's, here's another dangerous one. Be careful, be careful going into conversations with people 
where you don't give them a chance to have a different opinion than you. Here's what that would sound like. Oh, I, I was in prayer the other day, and the Lord led me to do this thing. What do you think about that? It's like, well, you're asking me, am I with God or, without, or am I not with God? I, I propose that, we, I say we need both, but the reason I say we need both is because sometimes God will speak to you directly, but sometimes he will be silent, so he'll force you into community to get his answer through the mouth of somebody else. And it's almost like a setup to do better for you. Because when you ask the question, you just release the spirit of humility so that he can give you more grace. I've had people say this, like, well, what if they're wrong? The beauty of the process is when you humble yourself, even if some of the advice that you get is wrong, the result you'll get is right because God will release more grace even on a wrong decision. I've watched it happen in my own life. I look back and go, man, that actually wasn't the best thing, but I, I did it in humility. I asked advice. I, and, and, and what you'll learn in your life is God is so faithful. If you'll continue to exercise those principles of spiritual family and humility and ask questions and get advice from people, God will continue to raise the standard of the advice that you're given. He'll bring new people into your life. Why? Because he who is faithful with little, God will give him what? More. You be faithful with a little bit of wisdom that you've been given, he'll give you access to much wisdom. Watch this happen in my own life. You can ask all, all my closest friends. The area that me, I am personally the most wealthy in is in relationships in my life with spiritual fathers in my life. I, there, there, was a, there was a time 10 years ago, I was an orphan. Uh, in fact, when we started this church, I joke with some people that when we started this church, I was never allowed before we started this church um, the church that, that I had with before, we weren't allowed to go to other conferences. We weren't allowed to go to conferences, listen to other preachers. In fact, we would get in trouble at times if we listened to other preachers other than the, the church that we, that we came from. And so, um, although I gained a lot from that, in fact, I, the principle applies there, I was still faithful. The Lord brought me there and I learned a lot from that place. I wouldn't be where I'm at without that. But there came a time when it's like the Lord said, okay, I had kind of outgrown, and by outgrown I mean the person that I was, under no longer had a place for me in their life and so anyway we, this church was born Renew Life Church I only planted the church because a spiritual father told me to and um but I remember going I joke with it and I called it my find my father tour and I was just so hungry I was so hungry for spiritual fathers in my life I started traveling going to conferences because something deep down inside of me knew even though I hadn't seen the best version of it yet, the scripture is true. Fathers are out there and I need one. And I don't just need one because I actually don't believe in the concept of you have one spiritual father. The scripture actually says you have, you have many teachers but not many fathers, but it doesn't say you have only one father. And what I've learned in my life is as I've honored and respected the spiritual fathers that God brought me to the degree that I was humble and followed and honored and served, the Lord said, okay, great, I've got more for you. I've got more wisdom for you. I've got more understanding for you. The same principle applies in every area of life. Every single area of life. Whether it's about parenting, whether it's about business, every single area of life. It's, it's, it has to become a lifestyle. The, the big problem with that question to me is that the son didn't have the, note, the, the wherewithal to come to his father and say, hey, I think I'm ready. I think I want to have half of my stuff now. I've got this business plan. I think this will work out. But what do you think? What do you think? Young people, listen. Ask questions. 
Don't decide this is what you're going to do. Don't just go after this thing. I, I'm, <clears throat> this is, is not necessarily popular, but I even heard someone I really respect say, um, he said something to the effect of, I'd rather be an echo, or I'd rather be a voice than an echo. And I propose to you that's almost the opposite of the gospel because what was the first thing Jesus said to his disciples? Follow. Follow. Follow me, and then I'm going to make you fishers of men. It starts with follow. One of the best messages one of my old pastors taught me was the message on fellowship, the art of following. Young people, learn to listen, learn to go in. This actually goes for everyone, because just to be honest with you, I'm, I still to the, to, to the best I know how. Anytime it comes to a big decision, Keith would tell you this. Uh, we have like categorical fathers in our ministry where just the other day a situation came up uh, and I had never dealt with this situation before. And um, it, this was a, a bit of a doozy as far as I was concerned. And the first thing I told Keith, I was like, I do not, I've never dealt with this. I've never heard of this, yada, yada, yada. But I know who to call. And I picked up the phone, called my friend Jason Valentin. I was like, hey, I need your wisdom, I need your help. Now, Jason Valentin's not a spiritual father in my life, but there are principles in the word where it's like, if I can just humble myself, the Bible says submit yourself one to another, the verb, the way it's said there actually means another of the same kind. Submit yourself, so you can submit to brothers too. And there's so much wisdom that's resident in our ministry now that I didn't earn it, I didn't deserve it, I just picked up the phone, made the phone call and did exactly what I was told to do and welcomed wisdom into this, into this ministry. He asked the wrong question. Second thing I noticed is uh, the younger son was living an uncontrolled lifestyle. If you look up that word prodigal, and the way that that, that word is actually translated, the word prodigal means uncontrolled. Uncontrolled. Galatians 5, and 23 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Self-control. Let's just say that out loud. Say self-control. One of the fruits of being engaged, intimate with, following, led by the Spirit, is you are in control of your actions. You are in control. I actually feel like I was supposed to say this. Somebody's believing a lie in here that there's something that you've been navigating and that you think you have no control over it. You and your own power have no control over it, but the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. The, is the issue is not that you don't have control over it. The issue is you're not partnering with the right Spirit. The reason you're still dealing with this issue that keeps popping up over and over and over and over and over again is you're partnering with the wrong Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit says, I got control. I have control. There's no, there's no wiring in my, stop believing the lie of generational curses. If you're partnered with the Holy Spirit, you now have self-control. Well, I don't feel like I do. Well, your feelings lie to you all the time. If you feel out of control in a certain area of your life, you need to start opening your mouth and recreating the world you wanna live in. And when you start to feel out of control, I, I just got a flash to something too. <clears throat> so if you're addicted to pornography, I even heard Bill Johnson say this one time, brilliant. He said, I'll, I, we can fix this real quick. Pray in tongues the whole time you're watching. It won't last long. 
I'm serious. Some of you believe that are in here that are addicted to pornography. You, you believe it's out of your control. From now on, as you're watching, start with Bill, because Bill's smarter than I am, <laughs> and pray in tongues. But after that, look right in that screen and say, this has no control over me. This has no control over me. No control. Because the enemy, will, he wants to first convince you of a lie, that you have no control over this. So you have to replace the lie with the truth. What is the truth? How you feel? How many times you watch it every day? No, the truth is Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. I am partnered with the Holy Spirit. It's the beauty. It's why Jesus told his disciples, you have no idea how much better it's going to be for you that I leave. And, I, and having now, I mean, watching The Chosen, I'm like, it's, it's all coming more, even more and more real. It's like, I can't imagine what they were thinking. There's no way it's better for you to go. It's like, ah, ah. But if I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he won't just be with you. He will be in you. Empowering what? You to have control. You to have control. The prodigal son was living an uncontrolled life. There's not one of us in here that wouldn't be better off if we had more self-control. There ain't one of us in here. I said this in the first service. I'll say it again. Um, Most of us in here if we could learn to control this, James 3.2 says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is perfect. There's, you know, there's not another thing in Scripture that the Lord says, if you'll just get this one thing. Pa- pastors are notorious for this. Today, I'm going to tell you that one thing. If you, if you just get this one thing, it'll change your life forever. No, th- this is the Scripture. If you can get this one thing, if you could get more control over this, less strife, Less issues. Spending. If we had more control over our spending, can you imagine how different your life might be if you had more self-control? I love Amazon Prime and I hate it at the same time. It's this weird thing. Because if I think it, I can have it. <laughs> it it's control. Let me just say, say this as well. Just because you have the money doesn't mean you should spend the money. Why? You need to learn sometimes to exercise self-control. Part of the beauty of our partnership with the Holy Spirit is that he is now the law. The Bible says he's no longer written the law on tablets of stone, but on tablets of what? Flesh. It means we're guided by something internally rather than guided by something externally. You, you, you can't find a scripture, and this is going to huff some of you up, but you can't find a scripture that says it's wrong to drink. It's not in there. Unless you're a Levite and you want to go back, you know, <laughs> you got any Levites? <laughs> so, but here's my point. But it might be wrong for some of you in here to drink. Because the Holy Spirit might be saying, hey, you know what? Just because it's not wrong doesn't mean it's right for you. Usually when we're trying to find the law on something, it's because we're already living an uncontrolled lifestyle and we want to do it more. We're wanting to find a reason to get away with doing the thing that, the truth be told, we already have something in here saying, hey, not right now. Put that down for a season. Lay that down for a season. I don't, the beauty of the gospel is not that it lowered the standard. The gospel raised the standard. How many times did you hear Jesus say, oh, you've heard it said, but now I say. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say, if you even look at another person, Look at another woman, look at another man with lust. You've already committed adultery. 
What did the gospel, because Jesus is the gospel, what did the gospel just do? Raise the standard or lower the standard? The gospel raises the standard. It raises the standard and even changes the motivation. I'm not doing it so I'll get something. I'm doing it because I got something. Gospel raises the standard. More self-control. I, this, this is one. Um, well, I won't, I, I'm running out of time, so I, I, won't, I won't get into that anymore. Because I want to get to the older son for just a minute. But um, Let's move over here to the older son. Because, again, this is not the parable of the lost son. This is the parable of two sons. One of the things that I notice here is that the older son obeyed the rules of his father but never got the heart of his father. He obeyed the rules of his father, but he never got the heart of his father. Upon returning, the younger, the, when the younger son was returning, it says that the father saw him from afar off and had compassion on him. But that word compassion, there's different translations for that particular word, uh, as there are several, but in this instance, it's not the compassion that means love. So what he did there was not just, I love him. No, it was a more conscious choice. It's the compassion that's translated merciful. He saw his son. He didn't disregard what he had done. He didn't ignore what he had done. He chose mercy. He chose to be merciful. So the father saw a son in sin and chose mercy. The son saw a brother coming home in sin and chose judgment. Chose judgment. What did he say? I'll I'll read it again. Luke 15, 29. So he answered his father, Lo, these many years, I have been serving you, and I have never transgressed your commandment. What, What was the focus of this older son? What might be the big deal here that we need to pay attention to? What was he focused on? My obedience. I have never transgressed not one commandment. I have been serving you. He went to Vegas. Ah, look, look what I've done. And, and, it's, and, and what you start to see here is the, why this is, has to be for the rest of our lives, the parable of two sons. Because this is not just a story of two sons, it's a story of two covenants. It's a, tor- it's a story of two covenants. I'm convinced that the reason the, en- the enemy's just slid on in, in here a little bit and he's caused us to almost miss the second one. When, and, and we've almost even turned it into the, well, the first one was the, he, he was the bad one. That's what we think. I mean, come on, prostitutes, wasting all the money. All, like, the, he has to be the bad one. When scripture says, hang on, the, we had an, there was another son who also had an issue. Keith and I were talking about this. There's not even evidence that the, the second son ever repented. He never had a moment where he came to himself. He was focused on his obedience, his acts. And he said, Lord, I, Father, I've done all this. I've, I've served you my whole life. I've never transgressed your commandments at one point. And you won't even, what do they call it, cabrito? What's goat? Is it cabrito? What's goats? How do you, what, what, the food of goats. Huh? Yeah. You never even gave me no chivo. He's getting ribeyes. He was was focused on a covenant that says, I should get what I deserve. And the father tried to tell him, you do understand this is not what this is about. 
you don't, you're not blessed because you've been serving me. You're blessed because you're my son. And you could have asked at any point for all of it and I'd have given it to you. What was he saying? You picked the wrong covenant to work through here. You, you chose the covenant of a slave, of a servant that has wages, not the covenant of a son and a daughter who has inheritance. Inheritance trumps wages any day of the week. This is not just a story of two sons, it's a story of two covenants. The older son, he didn't ever catch the heart of his father. You know, I wrote this down. It is possible that there is nothing more dangerous to Christians than unforgiveness. Father chose mercy, brother chose judgment. Matthew 6, 15, but if you do not forgive others' sins, your father, capital F, will not forgive your sins. Now, hang on, let's just think about this for just a second here. This whole, this whole covenant, this whole gospel is based on a father forgiving our sins. Here's the crazy thing. He is both just and merciful because he didn't erase the sins. He just made somebody else pay for them. Those sins had to be paid for. And he, he, ple- he goes to his, his son and says, there's only one way we're getting them back. These sins have to be paid for. Will you pay the bill? And he said, not my will, but yours be done. If this is the only way, because he is just, but he is merciful. The story is about a father who showed, was trying to te- even teach his son. And I, and, I, and I think it goes without saying here, but it's obvious that you can have kids in the household that don't just automatically pick up on what mom and dad believe. Parents understand this. They're not just catching everything you know, especially dads. Dads, you need to be having conversations with your kids. You need to be connected with them. You need to know how they're feeling, know what they're thinking, know what they're going through, because they may not have caught everything you thought you taught them. There needs to be a connection. Two people, same house, didn't catch catch the the heart of the father here. They didn't catch it, but especially the second one, man. And that's why I say, I think the most dangerous thing in the life of a Christian is unforgiveness. Because my unforgiveness cost me my covenant with my father. I, um, when, we, when we moved to Lubbock th- uh, three years ago, I, I'm kind of being funny, but not really. I, I was kind of on top of the world. The, the church in, in Midland had done so well. Um, I mean, it, we almost couldn't make a mistake, it seemed like, with that church. The church, we planted it, just began to grow, explode. Uh, the, the, uh, numbers were growing people were growing a couple years into it the Lord really shifted our heart we went, started going after some things we were seeing what many would call revival we were seeing miracles signs wonders and miracles every Sunday stuff was just happening it was it was incredible uh, in the midst of all that the Lord had had me kind of do a little kind of a little side thing to learn some things about the kingdom I had gone to work for a couple other companies then started my own oil and gas company and this thing was had just taken off I mean it was, it was literally making millions of dollars and uh, in a lot of ways, I mean, I mean, we were on we were on top of the world. And um, but right before we moved here, uh, some things began to happen. I had my best friend in the world stab me in the back. I mean, it was a it was not good. And uh, to this day, the most painful relational betrayal I've ever gone through, uh, unexpected. And shortly thereafter, that uh, some things just began to happen. Some some relationship stuff. Uh, and then right after that, COVID happens. And 
multi-million dollar business almost completely down the tank was able to sell it for pennies but even in that I had some friends some close friends of mine again money makes people do weird things and uh, man, it was just it was one thing after another and uh, and then all the way up to I mean I had again two more of my really good friends another guy one of my best friends as well same thing went around behind stole a, a company for me and man I, I just got to be honest with you when I moved to Lubbock it's like it seemed like all hell broke loose and for the first time in my life, I had a series of things that, if I'm just being honest with you, I was struggling in this area of forgiveness. I was, I was on the struggle. Um, I, some of my emotions about some of these things, I was angry. <laughs> I remember calling one guy one day and said, just tell me where you're at. You ever gotten to that point? Just, I'm about to take my church shirt off for about 45 minutes. We're going to talk about this. I was just things that are way, I'm not, I mean, I ain't, I hit it probably beat me up. I'm just saying, it just, you just get in the flesh. I mean, I just, I was so in the flesh over this thing and so angry and so bitter about all this stuff. And, and I, I'm telling you, it got me to a place that, where I realized, wait a minute, I don't have a choice. I got to get this poison out. I got to get this out. And I just want to remind you that forgiveness is not an emotion. It is a choice. And I, you're not going to all of a sudden one day not feel, especially if someone, you know, in your eyes, at least for a season, stole the livelihood from your family and things that you had planned and things that you had, you know, we, we were coming to Lubbock to, to live here forever and build our dream home, all these different things. And it just was one thing after another that kept certain things from happening. And I, I'm telling you, it, it'll, it'll do some things in you. But like, I can't afford to... Ha- to harbor that unforgiveness because that unforgiveness it's not just separating my relationship with him it's separating my covenant with him and I'll tell you what I need more than that business is that covenant more than you think more than you need things to be right you need this to be right because <laughs> all have sinned and falling short of the glory. And that the, the, the law teaches us if you've transgressed one, you've transgressed all. And that's what Jesus came to do. Eliminate you paying for all of your mistakes. And sometimes we get so adamant that no, so-and-so needs to pay for this one mistake of theirs. And what we don't know is if we take that stance, we're saying, therefore, I'm willing to pay for all of mine. And I no longer need this covenant with Jesus. This has, from now on, we can no longer let it sit in our minds that this is the parable of the lost son. Because I propose to you, his uncontrolled living, uncontrolled living was not nearly as bad as the unforgiving living of his older brother. Uncontrolled living might cost you a season. Unforgiving living will cost you everything. Can't afford it. Can't afford it. I genuinely believe that. That's one of the things that, well, let's, can we just be acknowledged? Everybody's just mad at everybody these days. You ever notice that? And what's happening is, is there's some things that are maybe worth, I mean, Jesus got mad. Let's not act like that's not a real thing. But what, it, what it's done is, and there are some things that, you know, it's, it's kind of okay to be mad about. But we've taken that and it's like, now we have a right to be mad about everything. 
And everybody's just mad at everybody about everything. And all of a sudden, I just feel like it's like we're creeping over to this thing where we want justice. We're, we're more concerned about justice. And yet we have a father that says, no, 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 no. Mercy. Mercy. Because here's what happens. When you choose mercy, let's say it differently. When you sow mercy, you reap mercy. When you sow grace, you get grace. I had the same thing happen to me again. Although I, I just confessing my sin. This morning, I just was praying through this and was reading through my notes and da-da-da-da. And I, and I read, because I, I have it wrote, written in my notes. Example, people who have wronged me. And all of a sudden, I just went down this rabbit trail. And I started thinking all over again that this conversation happened, this conversation happened. And, and I, I just got to be honest, this thought came right through my mind. I hope the whole thing falls apart for him. It's what I thought. And at the time, it's what I meant. <laughs> But then all of a sudden, the Holy, it's like the Holy Spirit went, eh, that's Texan for, you know, eh. And I'm going to tell you what I did. You need to learn this practice because you don't, forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is a choice. But if I ever want to change how I feel about that thing, I have to open my mouth and recreate the way I feel with my words. And I opened my mouth and I said, Lord, I want you to bless that business. I want you to bless him and his family. I want you to bless him. And I am determined to say it until I feel it. And for some of you in here, that's the only way, some of what's happened to you, it ain't ever going to go away. By you just going to counseling and having a thousand counselors tell you this is normal the way you feel. Everybody feels this way. This is just a season. It ain't ever going to go away with that. And I'm for counseling. I, I have counselors. We have counselors. That's not the point. But the point is you don't recreate the feeling unless you open your mouth and recreate that feeling with your words. It's just not going to change. How could I ever feel? What does the Bible say? Call those things that be not as though they were. But call those things that be not. I love that person. I believe in that person. And I want that person to be blessed. For some of you, that is calling those things that be not as though they were. Because it ain't were right now. What are you doing? It's, a, it's an act of faith. I want to create the, the kingdom of God on this earth. Thy kingdom come. That will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thanks again for listening today. If you'd like to join us in person for church, Renew Life meets every Sunday morning at the YWCA at 6501 University Avenue in Lubbock, Texas. For more information on our ministry, check out renewlifechurch.com or find us on social media. We hope to see you soon.